Have you ever uh, wasted more time than you should? Doing what? What, what do you do? Waste, what wastes time the most? Television? Video games? <laughs> Traffic. <laughs> Traffic, boy, you must really be in a hurry. <laughs> you know, for me what it is, it's sitting in front of my com computer just kind of allowing one thing to lead to the other. You do that? You just sit there and you, you know, you, you know, I should be working on my sermon, but, oh, this looks interesting. Click. Oh, yeah. Oh, I always wondered about that. Oh, type that in. Look up some other thing. And then next thing you know, two hours have gone by and you're like, oh, shoot, what am I doing? And you get back on topic, you know. Did, did you know that the, the term uh, internet surfing has only, it was coined, it was first used in 1992. That's not very long ago. Uh, to us, it's almost like everyday normal thing. We just kind of surf the internet looking for stuff. I, I found this uh, description of what surfing the internet is. One interesting link to another in particular. It's, but it's, it's undirected type of web browsing. You know, you're just like, oh, well, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. How many of you have done it? Yeah, 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 we're all in the same boat. <laughs> it's, it's that old adage, one thing leads to another. And you know what? Today's uh, message is kind of like that. Today's sermon is on, a, it's a little short passage where Paul is describing something and he's very excited about it. And it's just like he starts on one thing and that leads to another and then that leads to another thing and that leads to another thing and that leads to another and he just keeps going and going and going. And so if we get, yeah, I, I know it's too small to read, but I wanted to, I wanted to put the whole um, text. This is uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 23. And what I've done is I've, under each item where it's explained a little further, I've, I've moved it over one space and then wrote that down. And then the last item, you know, I moved it over one space and wrote what, how it is described. So each phrase, when it's described by something else, I, I put a little to the left. And notice how it just keeps going to the left. It's because he's just describing one thing after the other. Remember last two weeks ago when I talked about my sister coming home from a track meet? So excited. And she would do the same thing. It's just one thing tumbling out after the other. And the difference with Paul and, and internet surfing, you know, with internet surfing, it's kind of aimless and there's no point. But with Paul, it's like he is packing in one thing after the other and he just keeps packing it in tighter and tighter. And uh, I... I only got about halfway through this passage, and I said, you know, that is enough for this morning. Because <laughs> I couldn't get through the whole thing. I wanted to, and it, it really, it's really one sermon, but I didn't want to keep you here till three. So I, I cut it in half, so we're only going to, so the, the next slide. Um, and Oh, wow, you're good. <laughs> no, no, go back. That's good. She got it. So, uh, no, no. Anyways, just leave it like that. You don't need the other slide up. Just leave it. Uh, I had, sorry, getting myself confused. So we're going to zoom in a little bit closer and check out what this whole, what sets this whole thing off in motion. For this reason, and because of your faith, and because of your love for the believers, these are sort of the three reasons that Paul starts off this whole passage with. And we're going to check out the first reason first. For this reason. What is he talking about? You, you kind of like, you're not quite sure when he says, for this reason, whether he's f referring to what's happened before, all of uh, ver chapters 1, verse 3 to, to 14, or whether he's referring 
because of your faith and because of your love for all the believers. And so you're kind of like, uh, the NIV is a little vague there for this reason. You're not sure what's happening. Now, in the King James Version, it says, um, wherefore I also. And that's not really too helpful because we don't really know what it means. <laughs> you know, wherefore I also. What it, instead, so just go, wherefore I also and because of your faith. You kind of go like, huh? But it's actually a better translation of the original Greek. Um, in fact, the NIV basically skips a word. Um, can we get to go to the next slide? I think I have it. Yeah. So the word it skipped is a word. It's it's the word kago, and it kind of means like and I or I also and or and I likewise has that kind of meaning. So if you if you just add that word, which the NIV completely ignores that the word's there. For this reason, and I likewise, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all, all the people, now you can see why the NIV skipped it. <laughs> because in English, it's really awkward. What does that mean? And it really doesn't add a whole lot. But what it does do is it points out the fact that he's adding something to uh, the for this reason. And... Uh, He's adding this, I, these two ideas, that since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the people, he's adding those two ideas onto that first idea of, of the, you know, the, the there, or the, uh, for this reason. So what does the, for this reason mean? Basically, it, it's referring back to the, the whole part previously that he's been talking about. Remember two weeks ago where, where I read it really super fast and it was all this super excitement about what Paul's talking about, the fact that we are chosen, that we've been redeemed, that we've been glorified and that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and that we have all these spiritual blessings that he's poured out immeasurably more upon us, all this great stuff. And he's saying, for that reason and because you love because of your faith and because you love God's people. And then he carries on to what he's going to say. And basically he says, I'm praying for you. Um, and so um, this whole idea, I want to just kind of illustrate what it means when we say for this reason. Um, way back in 1822, the wife of a poor German pastor had a son. And that son, when he was seven years old, he saw a picture of Troy on fire. And he went, oh, that's cool. And uh, Hendrik Schleiman, um, he thought that he would love to see that city of Troy and try to find it. And uh, of course, Troy is mentioned in, in Homer's Iliad, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And everyone thought that these were works of fiction, but not Heinrich. He thought this, I think this place really exists. And he set out to prove that Troy really existed and that the Iliad and the Odyssey were not just figments of, of uh, Homer, Homer's imagination. And so he went out. In 1873, he was 51 years old. He set off to look for Troy, and he found it. And he found fabulous treasures there, and he smuggled them out of Turkey, actually, much to the disdain of the Turkish government. They weren't too impressed with him. And he took all this stuff, and he became a very wealthy man, exceedingly wealthy, actually, because of all these treasures that he found. And, um, and the thing is, he read, he saw this poem when he was seven years old, and the picture of Troy, and because of that, he 
by his own faith, he just went out and he went and found it. And you know what? Paul says that we have all of these treasures that God has given us. And if we similarly put our faith in the Bible, a little more trustworthy than Homer's Iliad, <laughs> and we say, yeah, I believe that we have this treasure. And then we live that way. And we, we can discover that treasure in our lives. And it can do immense immensely great things for us. We can become changed people because of our understanding of who we are in Christ. And that's what I really want to talk about today. Do you believe this ancient test and what it says about you and your glorious riches that you have in Jesus Christ? You know, uh, one day kids, a couple of uh, parents were uh, talking about money matters, you know, and they didn't realize that little Billy was listening in. And... Uh, all of a sudden, little Billy pipes up, well, why don't you write, just write out one of those little pieces of paper and give it to them? He was talking about a check. And he was under this, uh, under this idea that he just wrote checks for things, and then that solved all your money problems. <laughs> Didn't really realize that there had to be a bank account that backed up the checkbook. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. We as Christians, we have a bank account that backs up our faith and our prayers. And, uh, you know, there... Um, what was his name? Yes, Charles Spurgeon. He wrote a book uh, entitled "The Checkbook on the A Checkbook on the Bank of Faith," and in it he wrote out all the promises of the Bible. And these are these are things we can cash in. All the promises of the Bible we can cash in. So when you read through all those glorious things that God has given us in Christ Jesus, we can cash in on that and use them for our own. Uh, good. Um, too many Christians, they've never read the book. They don't really know what they have in Christ. They've never really studied it. And if they studied it, they've never cashed in on it because they didn't really understand it. You know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, William Hurst, he was this great publisher. He was a very wealthy man and he loved collecting artworks. And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd collect them and he'd put them in his storehouses and he had all kinds of works of art. And one day he heard about this great treasure, this amazing artwork, and he went, yeah, I gotta have that. And so he hired a couple guys, go out and look for this artwork, see where it went, where it is, who owns it, all this stuff. So the people went out and, and he said, you know, I don't really care how much it costs, you just find it and get it for me. And so they went out and they searched for like a half a year for this thing. Finally, they found it. You know where they found it? In William Hearst's vault. Or not William. Yeah, William Hearst's vault. In his own vault. <laughs> he had it himself already. He had already got this work of art. He had spent all his money looking for it. And he found out he had already had it. And you know what? That's a little bit like Christians. Sometimes we forget the things we have. And we, we plead and ask God for all kinds of things. And we don't even know that we already have those things. And you know, it's interesting that Paul prays this amazing prayer. <clears throat> Next slide. For this reason, because of your faith and because of the, your love for the believers. You know, these are two things that fit together. They're, they're just the beginning. You know, we can have faith and we can have love for believers. And those are the starts. But then Paul prays, I want so much more for you guys. I don't want you just to be left with just faith. Faith is great. It saves you. But I want so much more for you. And love for the brother. And that's step number two. You know, when people come to Christ, 
First, they understand the gospel that Jesus died for their sins. Next thing you know, they come into the family and they love the brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul says, I want you to go deeper. I want you to go beyond that. And so he prays. He says, I have not stopped praying, giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you. And then he he lifts off, off the things that he wants given to them. You know, it's interesting. There's four uh, prison prayers that the Apostle Paul prays. Um, next slide. Uh, in, he prays these prayers in prisons. And these are amazing prayers. In fact, I often find myself flipping through my Bible, looking up Ephesians chapter 3, opening it up, and praying it. And I pray it for you guys. I pray that prayer, I wouldn't say regularly, but often enough. I pray it for you guys. And after today's sermon, I probably should pray more often (laughs) and regularly. And maybe you could pray that for me, that this prayer and the prayer in chapter 3 as well. These are amazing prayers because it's interesting that the Apostle Paul doesn't actually pray for something new in the believer's life. In all of these prayers... The Apostle Paul is praying that we would see what we already have. That, that our hearts would understand what we, what, who God is. Not, not like, oh, uh, please, uh, you know, help my, my friend's kidneys get better. Or help me to pass this exam at school. Or help me do this or help me do that. Or get me this thing or get me that thing. No, these prayers are all about understand that we would understand better who God is, that we would understand better what God has done for us, that we would understand better what is, in the, what is in the future for us, all these things. This is his prayer. This is what Paul is aspiring his congregants, his people that he cares about. He, is, he desires for them to know these things. It's about knowledge. It's about uh, something that's internal that Paul wants to give them. And so he doesn't ask God to give them what they don't have, but rather prays that God will reveal to them what they already have. You know, when I was a kid, I used to go to a catechism class every Wednesday. Does anybody know the first line of the Westminster Catechism? Thank you. I knew somebody would know it. Thank you very much. Yeah, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And other people have interpreted that to mean the chief end of man is to know God and to enjoy him forever. And those two things may be interchangeable. But we need to know God. And knowing God is vital for our uh, life and for uh, getting the things that, that Paul tells us we should have. So, Paul says... Ask God to give us, and he asked for three different things, basically. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation. Why does he ask for those things? Well, so that we can know God better. So his desire is that we know God better. And he realizes that in order to know God better, we need these two things. A spirit of, of uh, wisdom and a spirit of revelation. And then thirdly, he says, to open up our eyes, that are, that the, the eyes in our heart. You know, we sing that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. It comes from this verse, okay? <laughs> this is a prayer. And I love it when we pray that prayer. We prayed it last week when we sang it. And we prayed a similar song today. Asking God to open up our eyes. 
the eyes of our heart, not our physical eyes. You know, I, I think it's hilarious, you know, because everyone's praying it like this, Lord, Lord, open the eyes, you know, and they got their eyes closed. And I'm like, well, just open your eyes yourself, kind of. So that's my uh, little bit of sarcasm. But anyways, <laughs> you know, from, from now on, when you, when you sing that song, you're not going to close your eyes. You're going to go, okay. <laughs> but, but no, we, we need, but the, the eyes of our heart are different. We don't have full control of those eyes. They have to be enlightened by the Spirit of God. They can't be opened by our own volition. And so we need God to open those eyes. Um, I find it interesting that the NIV translates verse 17 differently than all the other translations. But I think it gets it right this time anyways. Um, it translates verse 17 um, with a capital S as I've printed it here, although I have a few extra capitals. But a capital S on the word spirit. You see, the word spirit can be used different ways. And sometimes, uh, like in, the, in uh, verse 13, uh, in, it says Holy Spirit. So it's clear that the word spirit there is referring to God. So we capitalize it. Also, in, in chapter 2, verse 18, uh, we all have access to the Father by one spirit. And again, it's capitalized because it refers to God. Um, but there are times when that word spirit doesn't refer to God. In uh, Galatians, uh, Philippians, sorry, 4.23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Clearly, that's not God's spirit, that's our spirit. So we have a spirit, God has a spirit, and we need to know which spirit is being talked about. So in this passage, uh, that God would give us a spirit of wisdom, it's not talking about some weird spirit called wisdom. It's really talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's not talking about some weird spirit called revelation. He's really talking about the Spirit of God, who is both the, uh, God's wisdom and a spirit of revelation. He reveals things to us. And so we need both of these things in order to understand God better. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So getting wisdom is just getting to know God, really. <clears throat> man in his natural mind, we can't comprehend God. It doesn't make any sense. And when you leave mankind up to their own devices, they start, you know, building gods out of bulls and out of uh, animals and birds and all kinds of crazy things because we, we dumb down God to our own size. So we can understand him better. That's the way we tend to think of God. But God is greater. And, and humans cannot fathom who God is or what, what God is with our own minds. We need the Spirit of God to bring us to that understanding of knowing who God is. Uh, you know, the best commentary on Ephesians 1 verse 17 is actually 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6. And I just want to read this because it's, it's really powerful. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who come to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden from and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, no eye is seen, no ear is heard, and that no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And these are the things that God has revealed to us by his spirit. See, God reveals the profound things to us. 
the things of God, things that nobody can understand, God reveals it to us by his spirit. They're spiritually revealed. They're not revealed naturally. The Bible says the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So clearly God's spirit knows the deep, deep things of God, things that human minds can't possibly understand. The spirit of God knows that. And he goes on, he says, kind of makes it really personal. He says, for whom, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So does anyone know what I'm about to say now? Anybody? Any of you tell me what I'm about to say? Some of you have heard me use this illustration before, so you should know. <laughs> no, of course, you don't know what I'm about to say because you never heard me say it. You don't, know, you don't know what my Spirit is saying. What my Spirit is saying is that you don't know what I'm about to say. That's all I was going to say. So... <laughs> Because it's my spirit that knows that. And it's the same way with God. God knows what he's about to say. God knows what he's going to reveal. God knows what and how to reveal his glory to you. And listen to this. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Isn't that awesome? So that we might understand what God has freely given us. We've received the Spirit of God, so what? So we can understand the mind of God. So we can know what God is thinking. Sometimes when people say to me, you know, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And last week, Pastor Jacques talked about that. And so many people, oh, I don't know what the will of God is for my life. And I'm, I'm just like, well, get to know God. Talk to him. Read his word. And it won't take long. He'll let you know. He's a big God. He can figure it out how to let you know. And he will. And that's all you have to do. It's, it's not that complicated. He gives us his spirit. And when we're in communion with him, his spirit tells him, us his thoughts. That's how it works. Uh, you know, Peter and I are in this big discussion about what, what prophecy means. And, and what we're both agreeing on is that every Christian needs to hear the voice of God. And if we don't hear the voice of God... There's something wrong. <laughs> There's something wrong with our walk with God. There's something wrong with what's going on. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they listen. And so we need to hear God's voice. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities in Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit, he doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They, he considers them foolishness. Have you met any people like that? I've met quite a few of these people. They don't accept the things of God. They just think, oh, that's, kind of, that's crazy. How can you believe in a God? I, I think I shared a couple weeks ago about my, my friend Gary France and how I was his first question to me. You really believe the Bible? That's ridiculous. You know? And there's so many people like that. And they cannot understand, but the thing is, they cannot understand the things of God unless God reveals it to them. And so some people's minds are closed, and the reason their minds are closed is not because they're being hard-headed or stubborn or, or ignorant or any of those things. It's because God hasn't opened their mind. God hasn't chosen to open their mind. I don't always know why God hasn't chosen to do that. The, the Bible also talks about the devil having blinded the minds of people and that's absolutely true the devil blinds minds and only god can open minds and that's why it's more important to pray 
for your friend to receive Christ than to tell him about Christ. I mean, both are important. But it starts with prayer. It starts with asking God to open someone's mind because that's where the power is. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that are, come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned, on, discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit, however, makes judgments about all things. And such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that awesome? We have the mind of Christ. Those who are fellowshipping with Christ, those who have, have been born again, they have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, and therefore they have the mind of Christ. And as they grow in their faith, they become more and more Christ-like because he's actually inside them. You know, so I've had these countless discussions with people who don't know God. And I've explained to them that, you know, some of the stuff they believe in just doesn't make sense. You know, like, for instance, um, evolution. And I, I preached on this, like, about six sermons, so I'm going to condense six sermons into two minutes. Um, but I'm just astounded that, you know, that uh, evolutionism is so grounded and so infiltrated into our society. It's incredible. And yet the very foundations of, of um, evolution don't stand up. I mean, biology has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that life cannot start spontaneously. It can't happen. And biology has proven that. Back in Darwin's day, biology wasn't that sophisticated. Biology couldn't prove that life can't come from nothing. Today, it's absolutely true. In fact, the, the world's leading uh, atheists, they, they don't say, oh, well, we came from uh, pr the primordial sludge and, you know, lightning struck it and, and life began. They don't say that. You know why they don't say that? Because it's illogical. Biology has proven that life can't, can't create spontaneously. And uh, uh, Dick, Dickens? Uh, Richard Dawkins. Dawkins, that's his name. <laughs> Get it right? I mean, he's very clear that, that no, life can't self-germinate. That's kind of a foundation for evolution. And then there's another massive major problem with evolution that everybody's kind of like just ignoring. I don't know why, but evolution is predicated on the fact that one species slowly changes into another species. Okay? We have billions and billions of fossils. Billions of them. How many um, in-between species fossils do we have? Zero, possibly one. And maybe, probably, it's just its own species. There's a problem, a massive problem. And everybody's just ignoring it. And I'm like, uh, that's kind of a problem. You know, you got fossils from every known species under the heavens, but you don't have any in-between in species. No half dog, half cat. No half horse, half whatever, you know. We don't have them. It's amazing that people still believe in evolution. It's just not possible. It, it didn't happen that way. Come up with some other theory. I'm sure they will to disprove God. But these things are shocking when you realize the world has gone after this and just accepted it without the scientific evidence. And, without, and, and they're, just, they're just accepting it because they don't have any other explanation. Why? Because the God of this world has blinded them. They don't want to acknowledge that there's a God. 
You know, the disciples walked and talked with Jesus for three years. And they saw his miracles and they, they saw all the things he was doing. And yet, it seems like they couldn't do a whole lot with it. Yes, they, when they were sent out, they, they did preach the gospel and the kingdom. Um, but it seems like their minds were dull. And they weren't catching on to what Jesus was doing. And so, uh, close to, uh, even after he was raised from the dead, they still were asking him crazy things like, we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. And Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he wa- they weren't spiritually aware that God was ca- wanted them to create the kingdom here on earth, basically, and to, to expand God's kingdom into the church. They, they weren't getting it. But, you know, on the day of the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, there was a mighty roaring wind sound and tongues of fire was on each one's head. And they spoke in tongues. What did they speak? They spoke the words of Christ. They talked about the gospel. They started going spreading out all over Asia Minor and all over the world. Spreading the gospel. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was telling them what to do. The Holy Spirit finally revealed to them, and they understood what was going on. We have to have the Holy Spirit involved in our life. If we're going to get to know God, God's purposes, and God's plans for the world, we need the Holy Spirit in us. And so the unbeliever needs the Holy Spirit to understand faith and to connect with God. And so uh, if you're a non-believer today, I challenge you, encourage you, to pray and ask God for a spirit of wisdom and understanding so that you might understand God personally. Because all of the argumentation about, you know, evolution and creationism, it's all great, but it only gets you so far. And at some point, there's this point where you have to step out in faith and put your faith in Christ. And it's the only thing that, that will, will work. It has to be a personal connection with God. You know, the, the Bible says that that Jesus came to, to Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And some replied, well, they say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, well, what about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, is, is that... Is that a particularly profound statement? I mean, if you had been with Jesus, you'd seen all the miracles, you knew that the Messiah was coming, um, wouldn't you say like a child could figure that out? Yeah, kind of. It's not not that complicated. (laughs) But look what Jesus says in response to that statement. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jodah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You cannot come to this realization that you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, without the work and revelation by the Spirit of God. It fits together. They work one and one together. And so Paul is is asking for a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation. These are two things that, that fit together. The Bible is the Word of God. It is wisdom itself actually and theologians down through the ages have have said it this way that the bible is the inspired word of god so in other words the bible says that the bible was was scripture all scripture is god breathed god brought it into being and so it is a spiritual book it has it's it's designed by god it's written through people by god 
And, and yet there's another aspect to it. There's an aspect of the Spirit needs to illumine us so we can understand it. And it's interesting watching people become a Christian and start reading the Bible and go like, why does this make sense all of a sudden? <laughs> it's because the Spirit of God came into them and he illuminated the Word. It illuminated it's a spiritual doctrine of making light on it, putting the light on the Word. And it, it makes sense then. And so this is what the Word of God makes sense when he shines his light on it, the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. In other words, the Holy Spirit takes what Jesus has to say, and he puts it in our hearts. You want to have a relationship with Jesus? The Holy Spirit's the conduit. He's the one that takes stuff from Jesus and gives it to you. It's pretty awesome. And they're both absolutely essential. And that's why most people find that it's when they're reading the Bible that they actually experience God leading them and guiding them. I have found more direction for my life in difficult situations like who to marry, what house to buy, what church should I go become a pastor of, all these things. I have found the answers while I was reading the Bible rather well, there's a mixture, but more times than not, it's while I'm reading the Bible that God speaks to me. Why? Because his word is alive, and his spirit illuminates it to me. <clears throat> so the second part of... Uh, next slide. Uh, I don't know where I am. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. So, you know, the, the eyes of our heart, it's interesting that... Paul is saying, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart be open. It's interesting that our eyes, uh, that the heart in the Bible is not where we think, oh, it's the seat of love, you know. It's the seat of our emotions. No, in the, in the Bible, the heart represents our intellect and our, our inner knowledge. And so when he says, he also talks about our, our hearts seeing and our hearts hearing and our hearts doing a bunch of things like tasting and smelling and touching. Uh, these are all things that the heart does. And so Jesus said this, seeing though they do not see and though hearing they do not hear or understand. And basically what he was saying is, yeah, you got eyes in your head and you got ears in your head, but you're not getting it. You're not seeing the truth because it's spiritually discerned truth. And so Paul uses all this, and we're going to move on now. He's taking all of that idea that we need to understand by the Spirit when he prays for wisdom and understanding and revelation and that our eyes will be open. And then he says three things that he wants our eyes to be opened to. So, and that's where we're going next. Um, and the first one is that you might know the hope to which he has called you. That's two words in here that are very powerful. Um, next slide. The word hope and called. These, these are, are things we want to talk about just for a second. You know, you know what the church is? Does anyone know what the Greek meaning of the word church means? Ecclesia? Yeah, what does it mean? Assembly? Assembly? Gathering. Gathering, yeah. But it also comes from two Greek words, called out. It's an assembly that's called out of something. 
And that's who we are. We are called out of the world. We are called to be something different. And Paul goes on to say, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace. He's he's saying, hey, Paul, come on. I got some work for you to do. And remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus and God shone a light down from heaven and and Jesus said to him, you know, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting? No, that's not what he said. (laughs) What did he say? (laughs) Oh, boy, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, Sometimes I get myself into trouble. Uh. Mm. Anyways, Jesus calls him. And uh, I'm still trying to figure out what he said, but I can't get it. So I'm just going to move on. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, He saved us and called us to be ho- to a holy life. He called us. He says, come, be holy. And in uh, 1 Peter 1 9, he says, He called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Uh, that's awesome. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. There's many callings in the Bible. And it's the sense that God is saying, I have elected you. And I've chosen you, and I want you to come and be a different person. You want to be uh, an amazing group of people for me. And in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, You were called to one hope when you were called. Interesting. Again, those words come together. This word, the word hope and called. Paul wants us to understand the, the hope of our calling, that we have this incredible uh, future. You know, sometimes hope means, you know, well, I hope so. And it means kind of like this uncertain thing. But when you say, well, my hope is fast, then you're saying really the biblical meaning. This idea that your absolute confidence, more of a a confidence idea, an assurance of the future. In the next chapter, we're going to find out that at one time we were lost and without hope. And, um, you know, it's interesting, our perspective on this, however. You know... I heard about this pastor and his deacon. They were going to visit a, a per- prospective uh, church member. And as they pulled onto the beautiful three-lane-wide driveway, all beautifully, beautiful um, fancy stonework on it, and looked up at this incredible, beautiful house, and they saw the prospective parishioner in this beautiful lounge chair watching this 80-inch uh, you know, LED screen TV. And... Uh, the deacon said to the pastor, uh, so what kind of good news do we have for him? <laughs> yeah, and sometimes we get our perspectives mixed up. We don't really understand what the good news is, how powerful it is, that it supersedes all the treasures of earth. You know, Ephesians was a very wealthy city. They had uh, the, the temple to the goddess Diana, which is one of the seven wonders of the world. I mean, it was, it was impressive. And the ruins of Ephesus is absolutely impressive. Like, what they had back then was incredible. No one else had it. It was wealth and splendor, all this amazing stuff. But Paul comes along and preaches Christ crucified. And they get saved. And now those Ephesians are in heaven, enjoying God's presence and his glory firsthand. Now that's where real treasure is. That's a whole lot different than those pillars and those beautiful palaces back then. What well, goes on? 
Uh, Paul also was asking for the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, when I first read this, I, was, I thought, well, he's continuing on with the idea that, uh, you know, we're going to have this beautiful inheritance, just as he talked about in the first 14 verses. And uh, he's talking about this beautiful inheritance again that we have. But notice whose inheritance he's talking about. His. What? Huh? His glorious inheritance. What's God inheriting? He's inheriting us. We're his inheritance. And he's really excited about what he's inheriting. He's getting a bride. And, you, you know, I noticed this morning, and I noticed last week, and I noticed the week before, and maybe I've noticed for about 50 Sundays. This is what I've noticed. The people are coming for the preaching of the word and not for the worship of God. But they're coming late to church. And I'm like, guys, you're missing it. We have the worship first because it's the most important part. That's the part where God gets his inheritance. And he goes, ah, my kids are worshiping me. They're doing the right thing. They understand the truth of the matter. That God is great and worthy of praise. And he's excited. And he's like, my inheritance, yay. So don't come for the sermon. If you're going to come for just half the service, come for the first half. It's the part where God's enjoying his inheritance. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be excited about it. Uh, it's good to stay for the whole service. But anyways, you know. <laughs> We're his possession. It's interesting, though, but as his possession, because we get to be part of his, his tribe, we get glorious riches. So there is something for us in here. The riches of his glorious inheritance. Now, yeah, this is where I want to point this out. See the difference between our inheritance in verse 14 and his glorious inheritance? They're two different things. And we get inheritance, and we get riches, riches of his glorious inheritance. So, you know, his inheritance is the saints, but there's riches involved with that, and he wants us to know about the riches of his glorious inheritance. Um, And finally, the last point that he's praying for. He's, he's praying for wisdom, and uh, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, and that our eyes be open so that we can understand these three things. Um, the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I love this last thing. Next slide. The last part. This is the whole verse. It, and it's like Paul has run out of words to use. He's just sacking the, the Greek language to get as many powerful words as he can. He just jams them all together. I want to I show you in Greek. His hyperbole. That's not a great word. I mean, uh, hyperbolo. I mean, this sounds great, you know. And megaphos, you know. And dunamis. Dunamis is where we get dynamite from, you know. And... And uh, the kachos, the mighty strength, and the ikas, he, and, uh, the strength that he exerted, the, the energy, the exertion, the, and that's where energizer bunny comes from, you know, <laughs> directly from the Greek. guess you didn't know that. But yeah, he's, he's got this whole confound thing of all this power that's available to us. 
And then he goes for the next three verses and describes why. And so I'm going to leave that for next week because otherwise we'll be here too long. Um, but I want to just end with this one little illustration of what his power is like. And sometimes we don't understand God's power. We think, oh, well, I can pray a prayer for, you know, your cold to go away. But I can't pray a prayer that, you know, your cancer would go away. And sometimes we don't understand where we can pray and how we can pray and how God works. And sometimes we have small prayers, sometimes big prayers. But what God wants you to realize is that his power is unlimited. Unlimited. And all we need to know is what his will is, what he wants us to do. I remember this summer, I was out, out here, and I think it was Eric that came and talked to me. I, I don't know if it was you, brother, or not. Somebody did. Came, walked out there, and he said, can I, can I chat for a minute? And I'm driving this tractor, ripping trees out of the ground, right? And, um, and, and I have this huge pile. The pile is about as big as this section of purple chairs here, and it's about that high. Like, it's a huge mound of trees, just all, all dumped there in a big, huge pile. And, uh, and so I had just put the last tree in the pile, and all I had to do was get it off the parking lot and shove it into the bush. And so when, I think, it, was it you, Eric? Yeah, okay. And you came and you said, can I chat with you for a minute? And I, and I said, uh, yeah, sure, just, just let me push the trees into the bush. And Eric's going like, well, that's going to take hours. Like, you know, dragging all those trees off into the bush. But he doesn't know Belmore's tractor. This is a 70-horsepower tractor. This is a powerful tractor. I just put the tractor behind the entire pile of trees and just, you know, put it in low gear and just plowed it into the bush. It took about three minutes, you know, and I was done, you know. Eric didn't understand the power that I had at my disposal. He was thinking, oh, it's going to take it one piece at a time or whatever. But no, this tractor is great. <laughs> Push the whole pile. And that's a picture of what, what Paul's talking about. He's saying, you guys have the power. You don't realize how much power you have. Some of the people realize it, but a lot of people don't realize the power that they have and what it can do and what can be changed if they would just get on their knees and pray that God would change things. And that's where the power lies. A lot of times we think it's, you know, powerful preaching or, uh, you know, fixing that or doing that or, or you know, I'm going to argue this person into the kingdom or I'm going I'm to tell this person how to save their marriage and it's all about, you know, good counseling methods and going back to their childhood and what trauma caused this pain and blah, blah, blah. Now, some of that's helpful. But honestly... That's not where the power is. The power is in the name of Jesus Christ. And he can change lives. And he can take what is broken and messed up and make it whole and healthy. And so, I, so this whole message is really about prayer. And it's about praying for one another. And asking and knowing what God's will is. Because if we know what God's will is, if we're in communion with God and we understand what God's will is, then our, prayer, then our prayers are going to be absolutely powerful. And we're going to be able to pray for things and they'll happen. And so, will you covenant with me that we'll pray these prayers in, in the Bible for one another? If you could pray them for me and I'll pray them for you. And uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3 those are the easiest ones to remember because we're studying the book of Ephesians. And we're going to get to chapter 3 and we'll go through another one of these things. But let's pray for one another. And when we get to chapter 3, let's make sure that we've already prayed some prayers for the church. 
And um, let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that it wouldn't fall on deaf ears today, but that our hearts would be open to receiving the message that it's a spiritual battle we're in, that we need the power of God to win this war. And Lord, when we get to Ephesians chapter 6, we talk about the warfare. Lord, I pray that you would equip your people to fight this battle. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, the belt of truth. Lord, may these things, may you equip your people with these things. With power, Lord. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.